Welcome to episode four of Timberwolves Tip to Tap. That's tip as in tip off for the Minnesota Timberwolves and tap as in the best the Twin Cities craft beer scene has to offer. I'm Dan Hilton, front man for indie rock bands, Southern Resident Killer Whales and Sender's Dream and co-host of the First Team All Nonsense podcast. And I'm Josh Dye with the Convene Training and Resilience Community and we're super excited you're joining us for the only podcast in the world to focus specifically on the world-class Twin Cities craft beer scene and the stay-after-class Minnesota Timberwolves. Great, and we're going to get right into our beer talk right off the top here. What are we drinking today, Josh? Dan, we are featuring Indeed Brewing today. Mm. Indeed is located at 711 Northeast 15th Avenue in the heart of the Northeast Minneapolis beer and art scene. They're actually located in the Solar Arts Building. There are art studios uh, connected to the building that they're in and across the way from the Northrop King art scene. One thing about Indeed is it's always had this killer environment during the Minneapolis art world, which happened pre-pandemic. But, you know, we say that this podcast is about the Twin Cities craft beer scene, but, well, Indeed, one of the original... Uh, tap rooms in Minneapolis has expanded and they now have a location in Milwaukee, Wisconsin as well. Which is kind of like Collectivo Coffee, one of the best coffee uh, roasters around. I think they only maybe have one location locally and have a bunch of locations in Madison. So if we were a coffee podcast also, we'd go into that. But as we're not, we'll return to talking about Indeed Brewing. Fair, but Dan, I've actually never heard of Collectivo Coffee. So what am I missing here? What do I got to do to get get my hands on some of that? Uh, well, I, I don't actually know. We could Google right now locations, or maybe they pulled yeah. out of Minneapolis entirely. I know they're in Madison, and uh, that was one of the – when I was having a series of uh, surgeries and checkups on my leg a couple of years ago, one of the one things that kept – me going back to Madison was being able to stop and get Collectivo. I know they can ship it, but it's a lot like if you know Dogwood Coffee, which is probably yeah. my favorite local roast. It's very much like that. Just a really sort of, they make a lot of uh, oily, really uh, sharp, bitter, sort of the way I'm into bitter IPAs. I also like those bitter coffees. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, Collectivo Coffee, folks. Uh, you might want to get in on that, but one of the let, back to Indeed now. One of the things that really makes them stand out is their artwork, their can art, their paintings in the in the tap room, the the art on their merchandise. They work with an artist named Chuck Yu, who's just incredibly creative and colorful and unique, and uses a lot of fun characters in their artwork. It's not hard to spot an Indeed beer when you're walking through the the liquor store. Uh, mm. And so, Dan, let's talk a little bit about, let's go beyond the beer for a second and talk about Indeed's Indeed We Can charitable initiative. Mm. Now, this I encountered on a number of visits to the tap room uh, back when I lived in Northeast, but uh, there are Minneapolis Milwaukee tap rooms pre-pandemic when they're open. Uh, they take each Wednesday night's proceeds, net proceeds, and they were donated to a local nonprofit chosen and sponsored by an Indeed employee. So they're invested in their local community as well. Awesome. So, Dan, what are you drinking? 
Well, I am returning to what has become kind of a favorite uh, local beer for me, which is the uh, Flavor Wave IPA. And you might know the uh, lyric, you've got to take that beer out of the snow. Don't have to tell you something you already know from Orange Afternoon, and that's oh, the fact. Yeah, yeah. I'm oh, into yeah, that song. Orange Afternoon, yeah, song from my band Sender's Dream, and it in fact is based on a real life practice of mine, which is one of the great things this time of year. I have a bank of snow in the planter on my deck, and I just go out there and just chuck a beer right into the snow, and it just cools off more rapidly than it would in in my freezer. And so that was how I, and then you sort of knock the, the snow off the top of the can before you pour it. It's just a wonderful, wonderful, naturally cooled experience. Coors could not make their beer any colder and say for all their, all their bluster. So um, flavor wave. And with, with that distinctive artwork, we got a can that's got this really active city scene um, with sort of, it looks like uh, waves Maybe we would suppose them to be from an overflowing Mississippi River kind of crashing into the town. Mm. But um, to me, it's it's just one of those uh, mosaic hop, hop forward tasting uh, modern IPAs that you and I love so much. And I've been finding a, a little more of a challenge, I'll say, in, in some of the beer I've been drinking in the last number of months and maybe I just really got tired, uh, spoiled by the taproom experience, but some of the full flavor of the beer has not been surviving the canning process quite as much as I would like. And this one really does. I've just been having a tremendous, I'm on can four of this particular six pack, not today, but, uh, this has been a really great experience. So the indeed flavor wave IPA. The Flavor Wave IPA. And Dan, I want to discuss the Queen, the Whiskey Barrel Aged Imperial Stout. Did now, you get it? I got a crowler of it recently. Oh. And did you were did you ever watch the Chappelle show back in day back in the day, the sketch comedy show on Comedy Central? The only the funny Yeah, only funny clips that friends sent me. Okay. Well, they had a sketch back in the day where Given that, you know, it's sort of a, a parody slash sketch comedy show. They had one where we were talking about Samuel Adams, but instead Chappelle changed it to Samuel Jackson. And he, basically in this sketch, he would hand a beer to somebody, but it was more like Samuel Jackson. He'd say, here, it'll get you drunk. And <laughs> the Queen Whiskey Barrel Aged Imperial Stout, 10.5% ABV. Mm. I had a crawler. I had it myself. Uh, indeed, I had that experience of feeling a bit <laughs> tipsy after after that. Indeed, you did. I, indeed, I did. But this one has notes of vanilla, chocolate, oak, mm. and you get that sort of boozy uh, whiskey flair from from that as well. And so they do still have the Queen available right now. What sort so, of? So I've been getting really into this as I got a, a really nice bourbon i treated myself to and then i just got for my birthday for my wife a bottle of sort of top shelf scotch like we she spent more on this scotch than you would possibly imagine she would have it was my yeah. 50th birthday everybody so it was, it was just kind of a rare deal 
Uh, it's in fact, it's a singularly unique deal for me as my 50th birthday. Um, <laughs> but she got me this scotch, and so it's and it was uh, in it's a 12 year scotch, and so it was 11 years mm. in uh, like a whiskey barrel, and then the final year moved into a sherry barrel. And so I'm getting really into the different sorts of uh, impacts that a barrel can have. And so in your barrel aged uh, beer, what do you know anything? <laughs> this would be terrible if you're like, whoops, I forgot to write that down. <laughs> but, but to put you on the spot, do you know anything about the barrel? Oh, do I know anything about the barrel? I, I don't believe I had any information about the barrel, but let me uh, let me read more for a moment. Yeah, here you go, Dan. I've got it right here for you. Yeah. An imperial stout aged in whiskey barrels for seven months. This bore, this beer pours pitch black with a creamy tan head. The aroma is a marriage of whiskey, oak, dark malts, vanilla, and raisins backed by an inviting mouthfeel full of smooth whiskey, dark chocolate, mm. oak, and vanilla flavors. I loved it. I can I imagine it. it. It sounds yeah. great. I loved it. And I did just want to talk a little bit more about some of the other beers that are available for people of varying uh, preferences. So on tap right now, they have their pistachio cream ale, their Mexican honey light, their pills, and the Mexican honey that's in their light and crisp section. For those uh, Hop Forward fans, they do have a hazy on tap. And then one, two, three, three different IPAs, including the Flavor Wave and a fresh hop, Dan. There is a fresh mm. hop on tap. Now? Yes. Where did the I okay? I should swing by and get it. I'm wondering where that fresh hop was picked because typically that's like within the first 24 hours or so. But obviously, there's no harvests happening all that close. So I yeah. I should give them a call. And if they if it's actually the case, I should run out and get some. Yeah, and then the final thing I want to just point out is you know we've had this conversation about is it flagship or is like do they use flagships anymore they do mention on their website they have core beers and one that many are familiar with is the day tripper pale mm -hmm. ale maybe the lucy session sour their pills their mexican honey light and there's wickle beer and i just want to do a uh i guess pour one out for a couple of beers that they've archived that i loved back in the day their mm. let it roll ipa and their that's gone writer. And they, oh, uh, wow. also they also retired the Yama Jamma, that sweet potato, uh, sweet potato beer. But anyway, indeed, love their stuff, support them during the pandemic and when there's not pandemics at all times. Yeah, yeah when, when there's not a pandemic, they have a really nice patio. Uh, it's it's kind of a in, uh, reclaimed industrial little corner there, old warehousey area. You, you know this. I mean, anyone can imagine Northeast where they have the warehouses turned art studio type thing going on a lot. And there's a train track that I don't think is currently in operation. There's just a graffitied boxcar. Oh, it's in operation, Dan. Is it really? You've never been there when the train goes like. No, I, I, I assumed. OK, so that must have I must have been treated to do a particularly artful <laughs> boxcar that looked like it had been sitting there and just the recipient of, mm. of years of art. But anyway. Um, right on the other side of their, their closed in patio and it's sort of a vine covered exterior, the building. And it just feels almost just sort of almost a European vibe to the, the little space there. And it was, you know, it's cobblestone streets around there. That's been exposed under peeling away asphalt. And it's, it just kind of a cool, 
that cobblestone street getting there is a total nightmare actually right now it's like because you go from like broadway to and then you turn from broadway and you go by abel and then you go up this cobblestone street they're gonna have to do something about that in the near future because <laughs> as charming as it is it's also like bad for your car but Let's talk about things that might be bad for your mental health, Dan, uh, which Ooh. it's time for basketball talk. <laughs> the, Minnesota, the Minnesota Timberwolves and the uh, the range of information that one gets to consume about the Timberwolves from the local fan base and the media. It's just tough times right now. So, Dan, here's the deal. The Timberwolves, as of today, January 5th, stand with a 2-4 and four regular season record. Now, let me set the context here. People were panicked during the preseason. You remember those two losses to Memphis and how much everybody was melting down? Uh-huh. But then what happened? The Timberwolves started 2 and 0 with that opening night win against Detroit. Well, they also beat Dallas the final the final preseason game yeah. which got some of the people were off the ledge at that point. And then those two wins, right? Go on. Right. And then, thank you. Yeah. And then you had those two wins against Detroit with that phenomenal fourth quarter, quarter finish that the Wolves had in that game. And then a rather impressive win against Utah. And all of the sudden, those panicked preseason takes had expired. Ah, oh, the Wolves are going to be like, they, they were gone and optimism was reasonably high people were praising ryan saw the creativity of switching to the zone defense when they were struggling and some of the rotations uh people were like wow we really saw some great coaching from ryan saunders and and d'lo well d'lo was solid he was pretty solid in the fourth quarters of some of those games his defense was rough but yet uh opportunistic at times occasionally disruptive uh, a good steal here and there and then cat people saw it at least small sample size, bit of progression. Some saw this anyway of an improved defense in the eyes of many. And then I insert, saw it. insert crash sound. Cat goes down, dislocated wrist. A Kogi goes down, strained hamstring. Dan, I need to just throw some heat. I need <laughs> to right. throw Wait, some hold on. Hold on. I'm pounding the mitt. It's like, right, yeah, yeah. Pound your mitt, put on your mask, uh, because I'm gonna throw some heat. Okay, I have nine different brief points I want to make, and I want to know what you think about these. All right, number one, the Timberwolves lost not just their most important player, but their two most important players on this particular team. Of course, Carl Anthony Towns, we all know that, but this team decided to go small and play Josh Okogie at the four. And through those first two games that they won, Okogie, he's strong, he's high energy, he's disruptive. Certainly he was going to run into plenty of problem, problems down the road, but he like played pretty well. He's got the arms of a seven-footer. Yeah, yeah, and he played super well uh, as, as a small four. And I'm saying that the Timberwolves lost their two most important players for this roster. Yes, of course they couldn't afford to lose Cat, but they could they could lose D'Angelo Russell. And this is no knock on D'Lo, but you've got Ricky Rubio, you've got Anthony Edwards, you've got Culver, you've got uh, McLaughlin. You have like plenty of depth there to get around that. Yeah. But on a team that was going small to lose your two players, already one of them already undersized, uh, that is just a devastating blow. 
And I, I think this is generally very solid take. So strike one with throwing the heat. I, I, I will say, I think our Okogi is at least arguably their most important player. If you're making a distinct mm. distinction between who are their two best players or who are the most important players for this important. roster as is currently constructed. And without a doubt, I think we are both in agreement that you could plug Ricky in at point guard. If, if, D'Lo went down and then you have a very capable backup with McLaughlin and you have a, a rush of players at the wing and it's really that power forward position and, and being able to have that flexibility. And in addition to that, Akogi being the second longest tenured player leadership that has started to emerge from him and so on. I, I think arguably, yeah, you're two most important players. And I think given the dearth of experience various player combinations have had together. I think that it was as things usually are with the wolves. It was sort of a perfect storm of misfortune to hit. You said crash. That's what happened. And they crash. And I think that the, the degree of uh, sort of dysfunction that's happened in their offense and defense since then, I think can be pretty, very definitely attributed to, to that happening. Let's go on. Let's uh, I'm, I'm, I'm giving you the signals. Let's throw that second pitch. Throwing the heat. Number two, even when a Kogi comes back, which based on the kind of medical guidance or information that we get out of this team, I'm not even going to make a prediction about when that happens, but even when he comes back, they're still going to be bad. Like cat is essential to this team being competitive, not even winning. Like they were going to be a probably a fringe. I know you preseason pick seven seed, uh, but probably a fringe. Either way, that's in the play-in games. So probably going to be fringe in the play-in games. But Cats essential this team being competitive, not even necessarily winning, just merely competitive. So, uh, are you in agreement or do you disagree? They get a Kogi back and they can be competitive because I say they might not get completely blown out like they have been, but they're still losing if they don't have. Cap. Yeah. I think this one was fouled off a few times and then, and then it was like a called third strike. Um, I, I, I agree that they're, they're not a winning team without cat on it. And in that sense, you know, I, last year, last spring when they had a worse roster than they currently have, maybe a little more balanced, but a, a worse roster than they currently have. They won a third of their games after the all-star break, after cat went out um, right now, there's just so many weird things at play. I think that they're a team that could win a third of their games and be competitive in most, if other weird things weren't happening. So bad, maybe competitive though, I would say. So what weird things are you referring to that, oh, they could maybe equal that winning a third sure. of their game other weird things so, weren't happening? What are you talking about? Well, it, I I have made the point, and I made this point in preseason, that if anyone wants to complain about a ramp-up time or anything with this team, you have a team that literally the starters last year at this time, every single one of them is not playing now. You know, you had – uh at that time, it was right. Robert Covington and mm. uh, Jeff T. And I mean, go down the list. It was not the same guy. So you have people that have less familiarity, not to mention that their leader 
is out there, as you said, the two most important players are out, not just, yeah. you know, whatever. I, I just think that there are so many combinations. You have a number one draft pick that didn't get a, um, didn't get a summer league. In fact, a number you're the youngest team in the league and your guys didn't get a summer league. Naz was a summer league sensation the previous year. He probably could have benefited mm-hmm. from another summer league and now he's starting. Um, so there, there, there's just a number of things. They didn't get to play in the bubble. Most of the teams they're playing right now played in the bubble with the pretty much the same players that they're trotting out in these games. So they just, it's a familiarity thing and, and having this difficulty thrust upon them. All right. Number three, I said in an earlier episode that this team would take 20 to 25 games to like truly find their rhythm. And, but that was with their two most important players. And so this is starting over and not, it's not merely, but it's not merely starting over like, well, after six games, but it's like a completely, if you don't cat was the centerpiece around which everything functioned. Right. And so you take that out, like, Hey, you kind of got to find a new centerpiece or what does that even mean? And so we're we're not even starting over. We're starting in a tremendous deficit. And people might be wondering, like, well, you know, what's the point of just uh, throwing this heat, you know, and, you know, what are we supposed to be looking for during these games? And I'm saying, like, what you're seeing is exactly what you should expect. There should actually be no disappointment right <laughs> now around what's happened since Cat went down because it's totally predictable. Uh-huh. It's totally predictable and understandable. And I will say it defensible. It is defensible given uh-huh. the weird things you talked about. No summer league, very limited training camp, only three preseason, game, preseason games, no preparation, a team that hasn't played together. Then you base it around one guy. Right. And he goes down. Like, what are you expecting? So, and this is going to start to touch on a theme that we're, I think really precipitated this whole throwing of the heat by you today. And by the way, strike three, you're out. My response to this one is really, I, I, I don't necessarily agree that I, I don't think I agree that it was going to take 20 to 25 games to find the rhythm, at least relative sure. to other teams, but that there would take that ramp up time. And I think it was a general consensus throughout the fan base from what I could gather that everyone was like, yeah, you know, this is going to take some time. We get this going to take some time, but, but what happens is people will say something like that, but then suddenly all this adversity is thrown and they get a two game sample size and they lose their minds. And I think that that is the thing that has been kind of frustrating for us to watch. And one of the things that we are trying to do as a podcast, as a little tangent that Lucas Schaefer, who's a good local writer who has really good sort of medical takes. I think he has like a physical mm-hmm. uh, therapy background. And so often when there's an injury and he'll sort of talk about what the terminology means and what that, that wh- how we should think about that in terms of players returning. But he said something recently about, you know, are we, do we have too many people breaking down film now? Like too many people trying to talk about the X's and O's locally when you have like yeah. Dane Moore, who's sort of the gold standard, and then there's a few other people that kind of get it, but they're not as 
<laughs> they're not as good as Dane. And so like, are they adding to it? And then you start getting like the armchair people that think that they're seeing something when they're probably not, or not really, you know, getting this. And I think what's been really frustrating is to see people start to weigh in with thoughts that could use a little more consideration or a little more context. And so for somebody to say like, Oh yeah, I understand that it's going to take some time for things to ramp up. Then cat goes down. We, we fall apart for two games and suddenly like takes are hotter than these, this heat that you're throwing today and hot takes in quarter one that are rendered cold by quarter three. Yeah. And it, like Jared Culver's terrible. He's just off. And then all of a sudden Culver's back and you know, it's, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, that's been hard uh, to stomach. And so I think it, it, as much as anything else, it, my response to that, you know, saying in the, an earlier episode that this team will take time to find the rhythm is like, okay, now, yes. And we all agreed with that at one time. Now consider that they have extra adversity thrown their way as like, just chill out. Let's, <laughs> let's let this happen. So, yeah. All right. You struck out the uh, you struck out the first uh, batter. You got uh, the next one stepping up to the plate. Yeah. So after two games, Ryan Saunders was a good coach, but in the past four games, wow. You know, I'm seeing a lot of like Ryan Saunders just doesn't know what he's he's doing. It's amazing how quickly that changed. You know that it's going to take time for Ryan to find the proper rotation with a team that has such little size. It's nearly an impossible task, really, when you think about what he has to manage in terms of playing time, rotations, matchups, and people are like, oh, we'll just toss in Jared Vanderbilt. Why is Vanderbilt not getting more time? And yet, sure, maybe he needs to get some run, but Ryan's got to figure out, okay, among what we have and and on the fly, mind you, no Kogi, no Cat. Now on the fly, it's figuring out who does he play instead of, plus uh, – Factoring in contractual situations where, you know, like Wancho started the season pretty rough. And so, well, and um, not only and, that, and I think. So, and so then Ryan has to manage this as well, where we've got, you know, for example, an individual like Wancho and Layman who have Layman been playing out of position. Wancho just hasn't quite found his stride yet. And so now Ryan's trying to just figure out, well, do I just toss these people in and see what happens. So I was like, it's going to take some time. It's going to take a few games. And I'm fine with Ryan saying like, look, it's the Lakers. It's the Clippers. We're probably going to get blasted. I need to see what I have with these guys. And then mm-hmm. in these next couple of games, see what I have with something else before making that shift. And I think that's where in the past I've been the kind of fan that'd be like, why isn't Vanderbilt getting time or why aren't they doing this? And that like, yeah, it's easy for me to be able to say at any given time they should do this, but the actual implementing and executing of that in a way that works for an organization, it's not just as willy-nilly as I think a fan like me would like it to be. Yeah, and I th- I think one of the, the, the ways I illustrate this is, is thinking it, it would be one thing if some of these takes were coming out with a really sophisticated thought thought process behind, but what it really comes down to is we saw Jared Vanderbilt play and he played great. And we saw, we saw Ed Davis play and he played badly start Jared Vanderbilt. And (laughs) what you are implying, then what you see that Ryan Saunders announces that Ed Davis is starting and you're like, you're flipping out. You can't believe it. He said, why is he, 
doing this, you are implying that Ryan did not see Ed Davis play bad. <laughs> or he, he didn't see that he missed shots. I saw that he missed shots. If I was the coach, I'd figure this out. I put in the guy that hit shots and take out the guy that didn't. <laughs> and you're assuming that there's no more sophistication or consideration going into it than that. And that is frustrating for me as somebody that's trying to like see this with a little broader perspective. I think the other thing to, to go to like the Wancho, Wancho is objectively playing very badly. Yes. But people will take a sample of two, three games. Who knows what's going on? Who knows what's going on personally? Who knows whatever? Yeah. But you are effectively throwing out his entire body of work. If, if he had started this season shooting 42% from three, like he did for 14 games following the all-star break, the takes would be very different. But what you're getting from people that come out flaming with the hot takes, you need to trade this guy yesterday. You need to bury him on the bench and we don't need to ever see him again. And if you had a vote, at least for the, the people that I've been seeing talk on Twitter, if you had a vote, they, they would have voted to do just that, like bury yeah. this guy with no hope. Okay. So how you're paying this guy $7 million as you said, it's easy to say, bury him. What does it mean when you're a coach that's actually having to deal with these people as like human beings that have feelings and are, are trying to keep a career going and need to, you know, and have relationships. And also maybe as a coach, you're seeing how things work with different player combinations and you know how to push different people's buttons and you know what they might respond to. And maybe, maybe actually, taking his starting role away from him and making sure he doesn't get any more minutes for half a season is not the right thing to do to help him be a successful player for you long-term, especially considering, again, you're dealing with a team that is in, in circumstances that are just off the rails right now. Yeah. I, you know, you talk about letting somebody play through some of their mistakes. I think, you know, maybe you're, maybe you're doing some of that right now as a coach, but it, it's just, just taking a little bit of a, a broader view and understanding that you're probably not, doesn't mean that you can't be frustrated that you're not getting to see more of Jared Vanderbilt. But I think the, the proper way to express a take like that is like, boy, I hope, I hope they give Jared Vanderbilt a shot. You know, maybe I hope whatever they're seeing from him leads them to come you know, to this conclusion to bring him in, but to get, it's, it's just hard for me to see the anger over thinking that these guys are, not seeing something that we're seeing. We're not seeing the practices. We're not having conversations with these guys one-on-one, -on -one, you know? Okay. Right. Next hot, next, the heat that I want to throw, which uh, is apparently controversial now that like D'Lo's actually good. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> he was not brought in to carry this team. He was brought in specifically to compliment Carl Anthony Towns. And I realized I want, that I want him to carry the team. He's a max player. Max players should carry the team, Josh. <laughs> right. But that's not who he is. Is not who he is. That's not why we brought him in. Nobody had that in mind that like Delo's going to really carry this. It was going to be this phenomenal chemistry and pick and roll action with Carl Anthony Towns and Delo facilitating and getting others involved, which through the first couple of games, he did a fine job of that. He was also and, brought in for another reason, not just to compliment Cap, but to get us off of Andrew Wiggins' contract. And yeah, he, he got us off of Andrew Wiggins' contract. <laughs> but that's actually one other piece I wanted to point out is that a lot of people look at is Delo as the uh, Wiggins replacement. 
Well, they play different positions. I look at Beasley as the Wiggins replacement. D'Lo got us out of that contract. Mm -hmm. But would you rather have Beasley on your team than Andrew Wiggins? I personally personally would. Yeah. So a guy who plays hard, who's a a solid outside shooter, who's you at least know he's going to give you the effort. So uh, anyway, it's going to take D'Lo time to adjust to Cat being out and players around him not playing in their natural roles, which let me – this will segue into the nicer to the next one, and then you can react, which is, you know, Culver started the season so strong, and then all of a sudden everybody's like, he's lost his confidence. The glitchy shot's back. Jared Culver, what happened to him? Again, very small sample size. And then D'Lo in an interview talks about, hey, he's playing the four, which we know he can guard it, but what that means, he's also got to play the four on offense. And maybe that means you're doing you're doing a lot more screening than you're used to doing, and you're in different spots on the floor than you've been in, and that just takes time. And then, of course, they move Culver out of that role in the most recent game against the Nuggets, and in the second half, he was like Culver again, and everybody panicking about this and commenting in the heat of the moment, we're wrong. Yep. I wish we didn't have to to suffer Culver confidence watch. <laughs> 2021 you know yeah right. it's in the past it was kind of like we would have a euro guy here and there like yarich yeah. do you remember it was the marco yarich yeah, yeah or alexi shaved and you know I, I, it it almost feels invasive to be talking constantly about this guy is, but it's, it's inevitable because it's that's clearly what it is and i think one of the scary things for me culver game the three or four was when I saw I'm not a shot doctor at all, but I could definitely see a hitch in his shot that was there yeah. last year that, you know, and the, but then I saw a couple shots in the most recent game that weren't like that. I was like, Oh no. And then I saw Ricky when we were doing really bad and Ricky's shot was looking as bad as it has ever mental. looked. Yeah. yeah. Not just the angle that, but just the way he was releasing it to, that led to that. I was like, Oh no, it's something about Ricky in Minnesota that does <laughs> That does that, <laughs> but uh, anyway, I I really I do want Culver to get past that because he has some real get to the rim ability, like that bo- sort of body control that allows mm-hmm. you to absorb some contact and still get off a shot with a, a good degree of probability of the shot going in. And and actually, one of the one side benefit of his not feeling confident in his shot, then he tends to put it on the floor and take it to the hoop, which is like a really high value shot when he, when he does that. Yeah. And Dan, you're, you're not a golfer. I I actually play a a fair amount of golf or have at times in my life. And anybody with a golf swing knows that sometimes things just get a little bit off or sometimes you're trying to make a change to your swing. You were swinging a one way, and I swing in the other and there's this like adjustment period. And sometimes you kind of go back to that little hitch that you had in your swing as you're on the process of still getting into the muscle memory of your, your new process and your new flow. And I think that we're going to see that from Culver throughout the season as he continues to solidify a better shooting form and that it just, we got to like look at it over a longer term. And as you said, if he starts taking it to the hole and he feels that hitch come in, well, that shows some emotional maturity. All right, Dan, throwing the heat. Number seven, nobody knows anything about this team. Nobody, nobody. (laughs) Uh, 
I get people are reacting to what they're seeing in the moment. Uh, but And what else are they going to do, right? But this team was an unknown with Cat, let alone without him. And Dan, during one of our early podcast episodes, you had Ed Davis at like number two in your power rankings because your power <laughs> rankings are about who has the buzz. Right. Among like the local community because Ed Davis was um, the favorite teammate of Damian Lillard and he's just this phenomenal teammate in New Jersey and everybody's playing up the Ed Davis signing. I've, I've, I've followed this guy for years. I saw yeah, you just seem like, oh gosh, these people, like Dan, I think you and I remember it's like, we didn't really know who Ed Davis was. I'd seen the name. He was That's right. That you'd see him like he's in the line and hits the court or whatever. It yeah. did not make a blip in my, and I watch a fair amount of basketball. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and yet among uh, kind of local coverage and commentary and everything is like, wow, there's a lot of insight about Ed Davis. Great signing. And then he gets no run, no playing time in those first couple of games. And then now he's playing a little bit and be like, Oh, Ed Davis is washed. Like it just, how am I supposed to see any credibility among people who are commenting on all sides of this in pretty definitive fashion? You know? I think that, that that is that that is the thing that we're really getting at here. And this is sounds like we're just like throwing Timberwolves fans under the bus, and maybe we are a little bit. But I think what we're really doing is just appealing for like some better aspects of our natures. I, yes. I, I, I thought about this a long time ago because in our other podcast, sometimes we would, you know, start making fun of a guy and trying to have it be all in fun, but just this nature of yeah. like, what if these, what if these guys are reading your t- tweets? I think there is simply a difference between talking about, you know, this is gosh, you hope this gets remedied or this is going wrong. This is then just throwing somebody on the trash heap and, and making a statement about who a guy is that like almost, I don't know if you'd say it borders on character, but it's, it's just like throwing out a guy's career or just making some statements like, Oh, based on what you've seen, really based on what you've seen in the last two games, you're going to say <laughs> that he is that you've basically have put a cap on like what this guy can be, what he offers, what he is. It's just not, it just makes me feel gross to read stuff like that. And um, I, you know, I was, I've had this thing, I, I had it in the hopper for something that we would talk about down the line. I don't need to spend much time on it, but it's really this type of like negative fan. That's like one type is more like the, the comment board where it's like, they're going to just shit on everything because they, <laughs> I don't know what it, whatever that gives somebody to do is sort of the thing when there's a human interest story about some kid that achieves something wonderful. And then the, the person in the comment says something about, you know, where were his parents when I, cause just cause they simply want to say something negative and like, you know, ruin everybody's day. But I think what you see more here is it, like an insulation against a cruel world. Where like, if I'm, if I go on the offensive with, negativity then i'm not going to be accused of being a homer or if i go on the offensive with my negativity then i'm not going to have to be disappointed later which i think my dad was actually like that he was like a very very negative mm. fan of all the teams he was always sort of expecting the worst outcome and it was almost just this protective thing and it's like it's you, just chill out 
everybody. Well, <laughs> just take it. If it's not, this is the thing. Is like, why are we doing this? You know, why are we watching? And for me, it's like I just want to have fun. You know, if if things get really bad and you commiserate a little and you moan a little bit, it's even that can be a little fun. But if it's if it's truly not fun, if you're really not liking it so mad that you just yeah. throwing stuff out, just take a step back. There's other things I, I to think, do. You know, the the uh, what's happening here is more around like what we're seeing, given the circumstances with Cat out and with the Kogi out, especially with Cat out. It's just expected, right? It's expected, and so it's like to just sort of settle in and realize this is going to be really rough, and you might see some bright patches in here to to enjoy and to hold on to and to understand that, yeah, this is going to be really rough until Cat gets back or the team without him really gels, which is going to take a long time. But next point here, Dan, how much – I'm curious. I want your honest opinion about this. So the Timberwolves have lost four games in a row, Lakers, Clippers, uh, Washington Wizards, and the Nuggets. Uh, Rondé Hollis-Jefferson – how much closer would he have made those games, or would we have won those games with uh, Rondé Hollis Jefferson in the lineup? So, what you're getting at is to be following Timberwolves Twitter, you would be led to believe that we would have been really competitive in those games in which we were not competitive. I'm just going to say this: people's minds are blown that like Rondé Hollis Jefferson's not on the team, and uh, we picked him and- up at I, I think the minimum was it the minimum. Yes, I believe so. And then we released him. So he's available. He was really good in that one preseason game. He's that we that we lost, right? <laughs> yeah. He's still available at the minimum. Nobody else has picked him up. So I'm just saying, he's still available. Nobody else has picked him up. So who knows what might have happened, but no, no, we I, I don't do not believe that um I, there could have been some instances where he would have been helpful on the defensive end in, in sure. moments where we were struggling. Sure. I'm but, not going to say Ron Ellis Jefferson's a, a bad player, but yeah. you know people are talking about him like he'd be such a difference maker on this team. And I mean, I wouldn't mind if he's on the team. Don't get me wrong. I'm yeah. fine with that. But to like make it even a talking point, mm-hmm. that it's even a talking point, you know, because like, what we also don't know is we're not getting analysis of who are the other players out there that have not been signed that might be even better than Rondé Hollis Jefferson. But it's like, it's this familiarity bias or this recency bias that we signed a guy. He had a good one, good preseason game. And now all of a sudden he's a part of the analysis of like, how could Rondé Hollis Jefferson not help this team? Or why would they absolutely not? And it's like, really, really? we would be so much better with him. I, I just, I'm not buying it. Cause he reminds me, Dan, I don't know if you remember this, but rewind back to the mid two thousands or the early two thousands of uh, Timberwolves summer league pre pre Twitter, certainly, or at least uh, they back in the day when, if you wanted to talk T wolves, you're probably on the KFAN message boards back then. Uh, <laughs> do you uh, remember Jackie Butler? Gosh, 
I was following the team pretty closely, but no, I don't remember Jackie Butler. So Jackie Butler was sort of this perennial, or at least a couple years in a row, player who was always on our summer league team, and he always played really well during summer <laughs> league. And he was never called up to, you know, uh, yeah. the NBA. And so it's like this player who, you know, for one reason or another, the people who actually know this stuff and are knowledgeable <laughs> knowledgeable about it yeah and it's not that he didn't get only didn't get run with the timberwolves he didn't get run with anybody yeah well it's sort of like garbage minutes by you remember anthony randolph yes he was like a point a minute when he came in 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 trash time in in regular season games when you're down 20 points and you yeah i used to call him uh ran uh randolph the gray (laughs) <laughs> which is a, there's a Lord of the Rings meme of uh, Gandalf the Grey. He says, none yeah. shall pass. But Randolph the Grey would say, I shall not pass. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. All right, which, Dan, brings me to my final point. And this is sort of around, like, how to consume information in this landscape mm-hmm. and stay sane, which maybe I'm not staying sane right now because it's all kind of driving me nuts. But – Everything is marketing. Everything is marketing now. So in the media landscape today, uh, and not just with the media, but individuals as well, including this podcast, people are desperate for attention and clicks. But it leads to so much noise and unreasonable takes because now people are required to have a take about everything. Mm. It's like you got to have a take about the first quarter and the second quarter, and people are living and dying on every possession, every possession. And, and because they're so desperate for attention, clicks, attention and money. And when you look at it through like, ah, yeah, all of this, these Rondé Hollis Jefferson takes are to get you talking or to get you chatting or to keep you engaged, to keep you renewing your athletic subscription, which I do. And I love, by, (laughs) by, by the way, but regarding the athletic, I just saw in Zach Harper's power rankings today, Dan, that uh, Zach Harper has, uh, well, Zach Harper has the Timberwolves last in his power. I, yeah, I, I don't, and I'm not going to throw writers on the trash heap any more than I, I want to players, yeah. but I, I don't really read. I, I feel like Zach kind of went from being like kind of funny, snarky to just being snarky, and now mm. he's just kind of, I don't know, mean. Um, I don't actually read Zach Harper a lot these days. Uh, I've been checking out his uh, power rankings just to see okay. where they lie. And, and it is kind of like a tongue in cheek sort of yeah. power ranking anyway, a bit like yours, but yours is a little different <laughs> because you have a different take. That was my attempted segue, Dan, at your power rankings. I actually, before we get into that, I, I will say that you said the thing about the media landscape and the desperate for clicks. The thing that I, I, I think is worth noting is I feel like I will still say our local writers, for the most part, pretty reasonable. I feel like a lot of the flame throwing is coming from the fans. Like, in fact, I even would say that I sense some frustration like from Dane, who will be like, I don't want to 
I'm kind of getting tired of answering the Rhonda Hellas Jefferson questions or, you know, oh, yeah. or like he'll have to preface before he says, like, I'm about to say how D'Lo did in the third quarter of this last game. I'm not trying to say that he played well in the previous two games, but he's having to like say that because he's just sort of predicting the, the string of responses. And I just would just caution anyone before you hit you know post are you are you saying something are you adding anything to this discussion or are you just kind of saying what you've been saying and what other people are saying and but i i think the thing that's interesting is this is again it's not necessarily the writers or the media a lot of it i'm not saying anything about national basketball media which i say is kind of i would say that that's kind of trash but locally i feel like there's a lot of nuance a lot of consideration um, but it's interesting with the individuals, people that are on Timberwolves Twitter all the time, it's almost like they're trying to establish a pers- personal brand as a just a commentator, just as a person that's not, you know, affiliated with a publication or anything. It's just, you know, this is me, you know, saying yeah, well, <laughs> <Delo> is trash. <laughs> well, one area where I really empathize with Dane right now and that I think is going to be really challenging for him is that, you know, he launched this Patreon subscription, which I know you've subscribed to. And mm-hmm. Dane just has some, always has some excellent analysis, but he's committed to a podcast after every game, mm-hmm. which I feel really sorry for him on right on right now. And I know like, uh, yeah, but the, you know, that it, it compels a, it compels a perspective and in the moment perspective. And Dane does such a good job of right. really digging into the data, but there is also that kind of element of man, you know, yeah, he's got to like really dig the depths of like, what are some interesting talking points? You know, I saw him po- po- looking at Delo's just terrible plus minus, uh, yeah. you know, stats thus far, but every kind of also, not everybody, but many also kind of look at plus minus as just a severely flawed stat, which Dan acknowledges. And he's like, he thinks Delo will come out of it, but it like, it's kind of tossed into the, I'm going to throw this bait into the water. <laughs> Yeah. And, and yeah. And so it's, it's just kind of a fascinating and, and when things are bad, it's no fun, right? Sure. To me, that's, it's kind of a fun killer. Um, you know, in, when it comes to something like that. Yeah. It, I just want to like, this is basketball. I got two young children. I barely get a sliver of time to myself. And so it's like, do I got to just watch the game and hop off some of the, uh, some of the commentary I might have to. Well, and I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty happy guy and I get a lot of enjoyment out of watching the, the NBA in general and the Timberwolves. And I, I've decided I, I do not have an interest, you know, and even in repping our tip to tap Twitter, like I'm just not there during the games after the games, I'll have a couple observations. I might say I'll sort of scroll through, see some of the stuff, but um, I'm, I'm, I'm just not, interested in being a party of reactions during the game. That's not to say that there might be some point at which we're like, Hey, we're going to live tweet, you know, <laughs> yeah. this game, but it's probably going to be more attempts at humor than anything, <laughs> anything else. Yeah. So, all right. But you were starting to toss to your power rankings, Dan, which Dan remind us how your power rankings are different than other power rankings. So yeah, th- this is really about, buzz and energy as much as uh, clearly if you're playing well some of that buzz and, and mojo is going to go along with it, that but it, it it's kind of as much about uh 
the brand of the individual as, as much as it is, you know, this person had this many points and this many yeah, rebounds. Who, who's getting, who's getting, uh, uh, mentioned and talked about is yeah. your, your power rankings. Yeah. And then sometimes there'll just be somebody I'm noticing that like, I'm really struck by their play or whatever, where that might sort of bump them up a notch, even if I don't think that the landscape is necessarily picking up on it, but that's enough uh, description here. So we're going to start with uh, the number five then. Is that how we do this? Yes. Number five, we go five to yeah. one. Number five. <laughs> All right. Number five in the Timberwolves power ranking is Rondé Hollis Jefferson, <laughs> who is no longer actually on the Timberwolves. So the first time a non-Timberwolf has, has hit our <laughs> Timberwolf power rankings. Um, but I don't need to really say much more about that. <laughs> All right. Number four. Yeah, I'm going to go with D'Lo. So I I think this is – it was hilarious. He he played just such a balls-out third quarter of that last game. It was so fun to see him doing what he does best, sort of like again and again and again, and then sort of look back and see – tweets after the game that were clearly I could tell what quarter they were in because they were not recognizing what happened in that quarter but it was just for him reminding us and me what he can be at his best and you just don't see not to make everything the Andrew Wiggins comparison but you just don't see that like he was he was managing the game he was controlling the game he was making others better and I'm kind of just excited to see as as you said we're ramping up people getting familiarity him at his best if that ends up being a launch point for him and and we see a lot more effective pairing between him and and some of our bigs in this next game number which is tonight which is tonight uh, number three uh, I'm going with Jared Vanderbilt <laughs> we hey. about the and I could have almost gone with uh uh, Jane McDaniels also I, because those two shots he hit at the end of garbage time the other night really raised my eyebrows. Jim. When I will say that they are the two guys that currently have a positive BPM <laughs> on the two rules. So I kind of wanted to go with them as like, a, aside from cat, who's like insane in those two games he played cats got like a, a plus seven or something or plus eight uh, from BPM. But um, yeah, so Jared Vanderbilt, who, you know, for all we've been saying about you got to trust the coaches and they'll give him the rope when he needs it or whatever, he has he, he has objectively played very well when he has been in there in those blowouts. I thought it was really interesting that he did not play at all in that Denver game. He didn't yeah. – he not, not only didn't start, he didn't play. Which you would wonder why he's in my power rank. He's at number three, but I'm not here to discuss the the black box that is the machine that <laughs> creates these rankings. I'm just here to tell you the result. <laughs> number two. Uh, I'm going with Naz Reed, who I feel like for all the the hot takes that are out there, I'm surprised that it has taken people as long as it has for them to come around on him. Um, They're saying like, Oh, I see some flashes. This guy could really be something. I'm like, you were seeing these flashes last year when he joined the team. Like he's got really crafty 
footwork, a lot of dexterity, a lot of, you know, and really nice touch. But the thing I started noticing this year, and you laugh because, you know, our defense has been so bad, but I, I feel like for a guy that has the lack of experience that he has, and remember he spent two thirds of last season or three quarters of last season in the G league after having been undrafted. And now he's, he, he should not be being forced into a starting role given the amount of experience he has and having to play with other inexperienced players. But I feel like I've seen a lot of defensive strides. The thing that you always want cat to do about not stepping into space and getting himself in trouble and walling up I feel like Naz is doing that. I'm trying to watch him. It seems like he's trying to rotate and do all the right things. And he's, gosh, he's inexperienced. But I feel like I'm seeing a lot of strides on both sides of the ball. And it's not just like, this guy could really be something. But like, geez, this guy is a decent backup big now. And he does stuff starter quality now. But he's not like a, probably he's not an above average NBA player yet. But he's... But but you don't have to be that to be number two on the Timberwolves power rankings. <laughs> and number one, Dan. I'll go with Malik Beasley. I don't think you're finding anybody who has a negative thing to say about how he's playing right now. I think you would probably look at his overall defensive rating. You know, he's he still is kind of clueless off ball. Um he really gets beat a lot on switches and he's just not a big guy at whatever position he's playing, but man, um, he's been nails on his offense, like scoring in a variety of ways, right? Like he is hitting, I actually didn't look at his three point percentage. I, I know it wasn't good in like the first couple of games, but I think that's coming around. He's attacking the basket. He's making things happen when nobody else is. Uh, so whatever else sort of gets figured out by the rest of the team, I'm kind of excited to see how that takes a little bit of pressure off him. Cause he's been taking a lot of pressure on himself to keep things going. He's the one guy I would say, who's not necessarily <laughs> all that bummed out by cat, not being, out there on the floor. Obviously, I'm sure he wants the best for Cat. He wants Cat playing, but just in terms of he's he, I, I don't think he has a problem with knowing that he's getting more touches. Yeah, it's like let her rip. So, Dad, I always get to be the uh, I always get to do the sixth man on your power rankings, and for the sixth man, I am going with Joey Two Step. Uh, he should be number one. Yeah. So for anyone that doesn't know the, the curse, uh, the guy who cursed the Minnesota Timberwolves. Yeah. So let me give a little hindsight into, uh, or a little insight into Joey's two step. So he was an entertainer with the uh, Timberwolves organization years ago. And legend has it that when the wolves let him go, when the wolves let him go, he plagued the team saying, curse you Timberwolves. No one fires Joey two-step. I'm putting a hex on you. And since that time, we have seen things like Kevin Love breaking a shooting hand, doing knuckle push-ups. We traded Ray Allen for Stefan Marbury, Brandon Roy for Randy Foy. And most re- Sam Cassell goes down at the end of the uh the C- before the uh, Western Conference Finals against 
the Lakers. And of course, Carl Anthony Towns tumbles and breaks his wrist. The, the thing that's perfectly Timberwolvesian about the whole curse is wasn't it legend has it the reason he was kicked out, he was like getting too friendly with the dance team or something and and like it was it was not even an, a justifiable curse like he wasn't truly wronged and you leave it to the wolves to have like a, a lame curse be actually possibly the most effective curse <laughs> in all of sports how did that happen but yeah but here we are so dan what else do you have for us if anything I got nothing else, uh, really. Um, but yeah, I think anyone who hears this episode, well, not, who knows, but likely it'll be after the Denver game. We'll see what happens, but, um, yeah, I, I, um, we'll go ahead and bring it on in down the runway. I know you don't like theoreticals, but any predictions over the next few games, will you see a more cohesive unit or is it still just going to be, Really rough basketball. <laughs> uh, I, I'm not feeling particularly confident in any sort of prediction. I think I think we're going to continue seeing more moments of cohesion. But like you said, it's going to take some real sustained efforts. You know, this the first 10, 11 games of the season were never going to be we're never going to be easy. I don't know. Josh Akogi is questionable for tonight, so you know couple things change up. Maybe he's in there. Although even that, then, I don't know, you might still need two traditional bigs starting against Paul Millsap and Jokic. Um, gosh, I don't, I don't have specific. They're, they're going to win some games here. They're going to, I think the, the fully realized version of the cat less wolves is probably pretty similar to what we saw last year after the all-star break where they're winning about 30% of their games. So set your, expectations accordingly (laughs) on that happy note take it away dan well that will do it for our fourth episode of timberwolves tip to tap i'm pretty active on twitter i'm usually the one responsible for the tweets uh under the handle tip to tap and that's if you spell out the word two t-o and yeah thanks everybody for tuning in if you can think of anyone else who might want to join us for Minnesota Timberwolf and Minnesota Craft Beer Talk. Please let them know about us for Timberwolves. Tip to tap, I'm Josh Dye. And I'm Dan Hilton. Let your Indeed beer mellow you out and mellow out your takes. Be reasonable, be magnanimous, and keep it fun, everyone. Go Wolves! Thank you.